Well, welcome, New Hope Eugene. It is so great to see you. My name is Aaron. I get to be a pastor here, and I am just excited to be able to talk to you because I, I have been on vacation for the last several weeks, and I am so grateful for our team here, especially Pastor Brandon and the rest of our team who have uh, been handling things in, in my absence. Certainly, they do an incredible job, which has included in the last few weeks going back to being a, a video-only venue uh, due to government mandates and, and that sort of thing. And so that they could make that turn and that shift is just so remarkable to me. And, and I know maybe like uh, many of you, it, it just brings to light once again how, how much we miss each other, how much I miss you, how much I, I long to throw a hug on you whenever that becomes legal again. Uh, just long to, to maybe do church perhaps in the ways we've been able to do, do church before. But I also realize that um, in the midst of things not being the same, that God's mercies are still new every day. And that even in the midst of this new way of doing church, God wants to, to birth some new things in our lives. He wants to redeem some things in our lives because in the midst of everything that is taking place around us, all the, the difficult things, be it confusion and, and discord, even the death that's around us, all of us still are called to be salt and light. Uh, that, that this place, this, this, this place would be a place of, of, of preservation and protection, a place of clarity and direction. It's a place that, that's designed to set people on the path back to the God who loves them. That's what the church is supposed to be. That's who we are supposed to be. And so I just want to thank you, New Hope, for being that in so many different ways in your lives, for continuing to connect, uh, maybe in new ways, maybe in different ways, for, for risking what it looks like to connect in new ways. Thank you for being on this journey with us as we learn what it is to build a community in this new format. And uh, so in that, I, I, I'm so grateful to be able to just talk with you today. And as we continue in our, our series called Our Living Hope, today we're gonna talk about um, some of those things that are so important about us because they are the identifying marks of those who follow Jesus. The identifying marks of Christ followers. Uh, that's what we will talk about in our series today. Just as so many things in our world they have identifying marks, don't they? Uh, whether it's, you know, how a crime scene investigator looks at a crime scene to, to see the marks of foul play or how a, a fire investigator will, will look at the marks of a, of a fire's aftermath to see its origins and its source of ignition. Or maybe how an artist uh, would, would mark their artwork with a signature, or maybe even just their style. There are those who can look at a da Vinci and compare it to a Michelangelo, and immediately they'll know who created that. Um, those are the, the identifying marks, right? We see them everywhere. Even animals have identifying marks. I, I think of this. I think of coral snakes versus king snakes. They both look fairly similar, don't they? But one of them, the coral snake, is highly venomous. It has a, a neurotoxin that's, that's really, really deadly. But the king snake is totally non-venomous, -ven totally harmless. And you'd say, well, they look really similar. How, how do I know the difference? Well, it's the identifying marks. And there's a little rhyme that goes with it. That The rhyme goes, red on yellow kills a fellow, red on black 
won't attack. And so that's what you're looking for here with the king snake, it's red on black. And here with the coral snake, it's red on yellow. And so that's how you know which one it is. Those are the identifying marks. And it, but if you're like me, if I saw any snake that looked like that, I would just run away screaming. But either way, you can identify the marks. That's what lets us know who they are. See, that's what we get to talk about today. The identifying marks of a Christ follower that those who follow Jesus can and should have marks to identify the existence of that relationship. See, we are to look different than this world because we are to be citizens of another world. So there will be things that, that mark our lives as we follow Jesus that will be distinct in that relationship. They, they will be the, the fruit of that relationship. These will be the expressions of that transformation. Now, always remember, this does not mean that we're somehow working to gain our approval from God, to earning that approval. No, but what it is is that we're expressing outwardly the work of God's grace within us. These are the identifying marks of Christ's followers. And here's the really interesting thing about the marks of God's grace. They often don't show up in our lives until there's heat applied. It's like this experiment that you can do. You can do it with lemon juice. In fact, you'll see it on the screen here. If you start with lemon juice and water and you get a Q-tip and, and you write a message with that Q-tip on a piece of paper, that message will eventually disappear. It'll dry and it'll disappear. It becomes like nature's invisible ink. But how are you gonna read that message again? What you do is you read that message by applying heat to that paper. And when you do so, the message will reappear. It doesn't come back until the heat is applied. Often that is the case with the identifying marks of a Christ follower. We don't see what's really there until the heat comes. But the good news for us is there's no shortage of heat today is there's no shortage of pressure in our world these days. So what should we see? What should become visible in our lives in the midst of all the trials and all the suffering and all the pain that is around us? If I'm following Christ, what should I look for? Well, here's the first thing we'll look for. We get to identify God's marks of grace through you. Look to identify God's marks of grace through you. First Peter 3, we're continuing in our series here, starting verse 8. It's a lot, but I want to invite you to read it together, uh, even on your screen there, right where you're at. Let's read it. Ready, go. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing for whoever desires to love life and to see good days. Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Gang, this passage should burn in our hearts right now. 
This idea of having a unity of mind, of being a people of sympathy, of brotherly love, of tenderness and humility, that we don't bring evil for evil, that we don't, that we don't bring reviling for reviling, that we pursue peace. Guess what? I'm not seeing a lot of that these days. And I'm talking about all sides of the equations that we have out there, all sides of politics. I'm talking about inside the church and outside the church, whether it's in the news or on social media or even in our own streets and our community. There's not a lot of unity being seen. I'm not seeing a lot of brotherly love. I'm not seeing a lot of sympathy, not a lot of humility. No, it seems to me there's a lot of division a lot of retaliation, a lot of reviling one another. And we just have to own this and say that's, that's the truth, that we can't excuse it anymore, we can't rationalize it, we have to change it. Because this passage tells us what should be coming out of us as followers of Christ, what should be the markers of this relationship with Jesus and enlist them, humility, Compassion, brotherly love, unity, those should be visible to the world. Like a tattoo on your face, kind of visible, that kind of visibility. Not implied, not assumed, but objectively expressed. This is how the marks of grace are supposed to be expressed in our lives. And so we have to ask then, amidst the heat that all of us are in, is that the message that people are getting? Is this what is being proclaimed? And if not, then Jesus, please change me. God's grace must change our relationships. It must change our interactions with other human beings. And if it doesn't, what's the point? I think for many of us, we have allowed ourselves to become discouraged in this time, maybe even depressed in this time. But the question for all of us is, will we allow this time to make us desperate, desperate for him, desperate for Jesus? We are to become a delivery system for God's grace. You know, I mentioned I've been on vacation, and part of my time I got to spend up in Haines, Alaska, where my buddy Dana, who pastors a church there, we've been best friends since we were 12, and he pastors a church in Haines, Alaska, which is a beautiful, amazing place. If you can imagine the Alps meeting the sea, that's what Haines, Alaska looks like. And I love Alaska so much because it is wild up there, and you always feel like you're just outgunned by nature, like you're never going to make nature yield to you. It's gonna, you're going to yield to nature at all times. There's so many different ways to die. You can die like in a plane, you can die in the sea, and you can die on land, and you can certainly die because of bears, because there's bears all over the place. In fact, the first day I land there on this, from this little plane, I get off the plane, we immediately jump in the car, and we're going fishing, and we're putting on waders, and, uh, and we're going to be, you know, hiking through some brush and stuff. I'm like, hey, there's bears, right? And Dana, of course, is like, oh yeah, there's lots and lots of bears, but I've got you covered. And so what does he do? He hands me this horn that's like this big. <laughs> 
I'm like, really? This, this is what I'm going to be protected from? Oh, yeah, this will be fine. I'm like, great. Yeah, I can invite the bears to a circus. That'll be great. There's a circus. It'll be exciting. They'll be so, it'll be fun for us and all the bears. And so this is to be now my protection. So I thought that was fascinating. And, and this is really the nature of all of our adventures together throughout history. It's, it's always too small a boat and too big a seas. It's all, always too small a horn and too big a bear. That is, that is the nature of our relationship. It's part of what I signed up for. It's part of what I love. In fact, on this particular adventure, we, we took his drift boat and we drifted this uh, glacial river to get to this particular spot to, to fish for salmon. And we had to drag it over gravel bars and do all this stuff. And so we did that float and it was really fun. And then we got to the end of the float and, and we had to get back to where we'd put in. And so we had, we had uh, stowed a bike away. And Dana was really worried because he's going to be riding the bike back to where we put the boat in. And it's through really heavy bear country and really hemmed in roadway that he's riding through. And he's like, man, I feel kind of vulnerable on the bike. And I'm like, yeah, you're like totally vulnerable on the bike. You're like, you're like the bear version of Grubhub. You know, the bears are like, wow, they deliver now. Look at that. He's just right there. And it's almost like a TV dinner because you just peel the metal back and you just eat the gooey center. It'll be perfect. I mean, that's really what he was. And so he was worried. And so he decided he had got an idea and he said, I, I know what I'll do. So he duct taped a bell to his bike. And so now he clangs when he pedals through the woods. And I realized now you're, you're like the bear ice cream truck now. You know, they can hear you coming like, guys, guess what, ice cream man's here, here he comes. And that's how you can deliver that way. You can deliver yourself to them. They're just thinking, hey, here's my meal. This is awesome. And so I, I was looking at that and I tell that story because we were very much aware of what we were bringing to the bear population. We were bringing them a meal. You know, we knew that's what we were offering to the population of bears in that moment. But I tell that because I'm not so sure as Christ followers that we are equally aware of what it is that we're bringing to the human population. I'm not sure that we're as aware of that. See, I think as we get consumed with pandemics and politics, with bigotry and brokenness, with the real problems that surround us, I think that we easily forget what it is that we're called to bring to that conversation. And this passage tells us what we're to bring. Love, compassion, humility, blessing. So this passage should compel us this is who you are to be. God is saying, this is what my grace should look like expressed through you. These are my identifying marks. Now the world has its own marks, but these are the marks of my grace through you. And if we read this passage and we don't see those things coming out of us, then we must Cry out in desperation, in brokenness, in grief. God, change me. Identify God's marks of grace through you. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. Identify God's marks of grace in you. In you. We'll continue the passage. 1 Peter 3, 13 to 17. Read it right where you're at. Big voices go. Now who is there to harm you? If you are zealous for what is good, 
But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Friends, we will never have an outward expression of God's grace without first experiencing an inner transformation of God's grace. God's grace actually has the ability to change our character, to reset our defaults, to realign our responses. Where there was once perhaps defense and judgment, it can be replaced now with gentleness and respect. That's what God wants to do. Now, how does that happen? It happens this way. If genuine expressions of grace are not being seen outwardly in our lives, then we must ask God to do a new work inwardly. Change me inside. And just to add some good news to this, a lot of this new inward work that God does in his grace, it's all wrapped up in how we respond to suffering. <laughs> how we respond to pain. That there is a suffering for righteousness that will be asked of those who follow Jesus because this is the nature of Christ. That Jesus suffered unfairly, so guess what? His followers will also suffer unfairly. So this is all wrapped up in how we respond to criticism, how we respond to slander, how we respond to people reviling us, how we respond to things that are unfair and untrue and unkind. What comes out of our hearts then is proof of what is abiding in our hearts now. And here's the problem for us. If what comes out of us in the midst of those circumstances uh, of suffering, if what comes out of us is defense and hatred and fire with fire and eye for an eye, then something is wrong. I am mismarked. Now, we don't always see this because no one living in this world system will question those behaviors. In this world system, that's just normal. That's just approved. It just makes sense. Oh, they're mean to you? You go ahead and be mean back to them. That, that's only fair. No one will blink an eye at that. In fact, the only question they will ask you about that is, hey, why are you so mad at them? And then you can list all the reasons. Oh, here's what they did, and here's what they're coming against. And this is the way the world works, right? But there's a problem. We are not to live as citizens of this world. Philippians 3.20. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. We're not citizens of this world. You know, when I was up in Alaska, uh, Dane and I, my buddy Dane and I, went uh, to uh, a house of some friends of his for dinner one night. 
and a, a wonderful couple. They had just an amazing Alaskan couple. They had recently been married, and they got married on top of a mountain. In fact, <clears throat> you had to hike five hours to get to where they got married on top of this mountain. So everybody that was part of the wedding that went to it, they hiked five hours up a mountain uh, through bear country to get to this wedding. And in fact, in all the, all the wedding pictures, everybody's got bear spray on their belts. That's how you know it's an Alaskan wedding. So really cool people just for starters because of that. We go to their place. And in one sense, it's kind of a, a typical Haynes place. It, it's this really cool cabin that had been expanded that they were living in. And they had garden beds uh, on their property. With, it was beautiful, just amazing garden beds, a lot of produce growing. But that still wasn't that unusual. But then there was one thing on their property that I was like, whoa, what's that doing there? And what they had was a geodesic dome that was made of glass. It was their greenhouse. And there, amidst that greenhouse, they were growing all of this produce, stuff that you could never imagine in the wilds of Alaska. There was tomatoes and peppers and zucchinis and strawberries all growing in this, this dome. And it was warm in there and it was bathed in sunlight. And right there in the midst of it, they set out this table for us to have dinner. And there we are together with them, and, and we're eating this incredible dinner that's made up of the produce that was harvested just feet away, and we're eating halibut that was caught just at the bay right down the hill. And we're experiencing this incredible warmth and hospitality from the, the hosts of this gathering and this beautiful table set for us in this greenhouse. And I realized in that moment that although this place doesn't really seem to fully belong here, that to my heart, it felt like home. Friends, this is how it should feel in this world for those who follow Christ, that we are not citizens of this place. So often we will live and feel like we don't belong here like, like a glass dome in the wilderness. Yet deep down, that's because we know that that's our true home, not this one. That's the point. That we are supposed to be a people of his kingdom come. So that, why then would we live as though this world's kingdom is all that there is? This life is the short life. We live for the eternal one. And the truth is that for Christ followers, our lives should look like a geodesic dome in the middle of the suburbs. We should look different. We will not look the same as everything around us. Yet right there in the midst of that is where we find God's abundance and God's fruit and God's blessing. And we realize that as we follow Christ in that way and we look different, that that is a reminder to the world of where our true home is. Of how things could be and how things should be the way we were designed. This place, this life, this world is not all there is. So why do we live as though this is it? We live just defending our rights and our opinions and our traditions as though this is all that matters. Meanwhile, Jesus is saying, 
there's this other kingdom. <laughs> it's, it's my kingdom. Actually, it's a kingdom that's at hand. It's available to you. And I, and I died so you could live there. And I taught you to pray that that kingdom would come and be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus is saying, my kingdom has different rules. Which means what comes out of us in the midst of suffering, in the midst of difficulty, should look very different because that difference is the mark of God's grace in my life. My life will either make people ask about the reason for my hate or the reason for my hope. So, when people encounter your life, what questions are they asking? Because I really think it's almost kind of the same question, just asked in two different ways. People will encounter our life and either they will say, what happened to you? Or they'll encounter our, our life and they'll say, wow, what happened to you? And if we're honest, I think there are more examples in the church of people asking about the reason for our hate then there are examples about people asking about the reason for our hope. Everything we do as Christ followers should make people ask about our hope. Is that happening? Our world doesn't need our anger, doesn't need our defense, doesn't need our version of, of justice. What our world needs is hope. The hope that lives in us, the hope that we carry, the hope that is made possible by Christ in us. So identify God's marks of grace in you. That's the second thing. Here's the last thing. Identify God's marks of grace for you. Let's read this last passage. It's pretty long, but I know we can do it. Right where you are, read it. Big voices go. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. So, we see here how in this whole passage, how the marks of grace would first be expressed through us and in us. But now we see ultimately the reason why. It's that God desired his grace to be for us. To be for us. The nature of grace is that this is something that we cannot do for ourselves. It is beyond our ability. It is beyond our effort. Yet there's something in us that keeps wanting to try to work for this to earn our reward, to earn our way forward, to earn our keep with God, to work for our place in heaven. Yet grace, by definition, is unmerited favor. As this passage says, Christ, the righteous, 
suffered for us, the unrighteous, in order to bring us to God. How do we know that? Because Jesus himself bears the marks of a grace that is for us. Let me show you. John 20, verse 19 and 20. This is after Jesus was crucified, but before the, the disciples were sure that he was resurrected. They were in the in-between zone. And so this is what it says. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them. Poof, right? And he said, peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Get this. Jesus appears in this room with the doors locked. He's got this cool new resurrection body that has the ability to move in and through matter, in and out of matter. That is really great. He can go through walls because he just appears there even though the doors are locked. Which means then, it tells us, Jesus could have done anything he wanted to do with his resurrected body. He could, he could have come back with any body he wanted. He could have come back with like Thor's body and like a face of Brad Pitt if he wanted to. He could have done a whole extreme makeover on himself if he wanted to. He could have done anything regarding his new body. And yet in this post-resurrection body, Jesus comes bearing three scars that we know of. One scar on each hand where spikes were driven into a blood-soaked beam and a gash on his side where a sword broke flesh, but not bone, proving that he actually died on that hill. Jesus kept those marks on his new body. He didn't have to. Why did he do it? Here's why. To remind his followers that it was Jesus who first brought them to God and that it's still Jesus who brings us to God today. It's still his grace for us. Jesus bears the marks of grace for us. This whole thing, it starts and ends with the God who loved us enough to die in our place, to purchase grace for us. And the marks on his hands and on his side, those are the receipts of his purchase. Yet religion wants to keep pulling us back to what we can do, what we can accomplish, what we can know. And God is always trying to break that down. So he says to us, would you look at my hands? Would you look at my side? I did this for you. So quit working for me and be with me. See, as uncomfortable as this season is amidst pandemic and unrest, there is at least one really important truth, I think, that has become clear, and it's this. We don't know anything. <laughs> We can't plan anymore. We don't have it figured out. We don't have all the answers. Yay! It's a good thing. You know why? Because maybe finally we will be so aware of our inability to make a way that we will finally draw close to the one who is the way. That will finally get desperate before anything else. God's grace was and is for you.
You didn't earn it. You didn't earn it then. You can't earn it now. He has those scars for a reason. Grace is free to you and free to me because Jesus paid for it. So receive it. Receive it today. Receive it right now in this moment. He wants to save you. Would you let him? You know, um, during this vacation time, we decided, Paul and me, we decided to buy a pressure washer. Um, and so we got a pressure washer from Jerry's and uh, we went out in the back porch, which is cement. And we, we were going to do this little section. We sprayed the whole thing off and it got so clean. It was so beautiful. And then it was so beautiful as we looked at it, we realized that everything next to it now looked totally dirty. And so we, we then pressure washed all the stuff next to it. And then the, the, the flower bed looked dirty next to it. So then we, we pressure washed that. And then the side place looked dirty. So we pressure washed that. And then we're like, oh, we should look at the front. So we did the front porch and we did that. And then the driveway looked so dirty. So we did that. And then the garage looked so dirty. So we did that. And then our sidewalks were dirty. And we wanted to do that. And so we're working, we're getting the sidewalks done. And then my lawnmower was dirty. So I pressure washed that. The dog was dirty. We we're pressure washing everything in our lives. Because no matter what we did, the farther we got, we realized that right next to it, there was another thing that needed its help. There was another that just kept going. We had no choice but to keep going. We're just going to go through the whole neighborhood eventually. Everything will be pressure washed. That is the nature of our world right now. There is need upon need. And perhaps for the first time, and here's the good news, the first time our world is actually becoming aware that it is in need. Our world of America is becoming aware, oh, I might not have the answers. And guess what? We who know Jesus, we carry the answer. We carry the pressure washer. His name is Jesus. So will people see him in you? Will people see him through you? What question does your life make people ask? Are they asking about your hope? Is anyone asking about your hope? Is anyone asking me in my life about my hope? See, others will ask about our hope when we are truly filled with God's hope. Again, it starts with Him. These are the identifying marks of grace through us, in us, and for us. Our world our community desperately needs to see those marks in our lives. Just as we so desperately need to see those marks in ourselves. So I want to invite you today to join me in a very dangerous prayer that we together would trust God to help us live a new way because Jesus is our only hope for a new life. Let's pray.